Well, today we're going to begin a journey to the cross with a series of messages entitled The Passion of Jesus. And we're going to uh, relive basically through uh, the Gospel of Luke the events uh, on the, the night and the day of the crucifixion of Jesus, night before and, and the day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, all culminating on Easter Sunday in the celebration of the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In that time, here's what we will experience. We will hear the words of warning and affirmation from Jesus to Peter, and that's what we'll hear today. Uh, we will sense the intense struggle that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll look at that next week. Uh, we will feel the sting of betrayal as Jesus is sold out by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. We will witness the injustice of the mockery of the trials that Jesus had to endure. We will cringe as Jesus is nailed to the Roman cross as he bears the weight of the sin of the world in his crucifixion. And then we will rejoice on Easter morning as we celebrate the fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is victorious over, over sin, death, and the grave. Last Sunday we began that journey by celebrating the Lord's Supper in the context of the fact that Jesus was celebrating Passover with his disciples. And he took that opportunity to take the Passover meal and turn it into what we call today the Lord's Supper, talking about the fact that as they had celebrated the Passover, that this was when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt uh, in that uh, dramatic time of the last plague that happened, the death of all the firstborn, if they weren't protected by the blood on the lintel, on the doorpost. And he was saying that his blood would be the blood that would protect everyone. Moses led them out to freedom from slavery. He would lead everybody out who believed in him from freedom of sin into, from slavery of sin into freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting is, is in that night, as he was talking about he would sacrifice his life and shared the cup and shared the bread with them, then we know that behind the scenes what was going on is the disciples were playing the game of one-upmanship and talking about who would be the greatest in the kingdom and who would have positions of authority and places of responsibility in the kingdom. And Jesus had to put them in their place. And what a contrast between their, their sense of pride and, and their sense of altness in terms of contrasted to his humility. Then we come to the scene and the setting where Jesus addresses Peter. And, and he had to do so because of what we know about Peter. There were times that Peter would be courageous and he would be bold and he would be outspoken. But the bottom line that we know about Peter's nature is Peter was impetuous. Sometimes he would make boasts he could not feel. Sometimes he would open his mouth and put his foot in. And so Jesus knew what was going to happen to Simon Peter. And when we read this account and we hear what we learn from this incident in the life of Simon Peter, we have to see an application to our own life as well. Because sometimes pride gets in the way and pride fails. Uh, Allison made reference to the fact that Billy Graham died this week. What a, what a great servant of the Lord and how he served in humility. I read this week that, that he said he did not even want his name mentioned in his funeral, but just the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that kind of, of humility? That kind of humility that came from one of the greatest servants ever. Contrast that with what we hear here with, with, with Peter and how Peter speaks. We're going to read a portion of um, Luke 22 verses um, 31 through 34 and then we'll read another passage as we get a little bit deeper into that. But Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, what a setting, what a scene, what powerful words. Now, as we think about this, the passion of Jesus and this setting, what what are some things that we need to learn from this story, this incident with with Simon Peter and the fact that pride will fail? Uh, First thing I think we need to understand is this, and that is when we look at Satan as work with Simon Peter and what Jesus is saying to him, Jesus is trying to prepare him for this. That Satan always desires to bring out the worst in you. Satan always desires to bring out the worst in you. Jesus used that reference to the fact that, that Satan wants to sift you. And in that process back then, they would understand that. It was separating the chaff of the wheat from the kernel of the wheat itself. And it would be placed in a sieve and they would be shaken up. And the wheat would remain and the, and the chaff would, would fall through. And, and so... It was a process of being shaken. And, and Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, this is what Satan wants to do for you. He, he wants to sift you. He wants to shake you. Sometimes even today, recipes call for flour to be sifted even a little bit more. I watch my wife cooking when she's going to bake one of her pound cakes. And she takes the sifter out and she takes the flour through that one more time and she sifts it to get out any kind of lump, any kind of little imperfection. And it makes the, the flour a little bit smoother and a little bit more lighter and a little bit fluffier. Well, Satan's desire in your life is to sift you so that the worst in your life is exposed. That's what he wanted to do with Simon Peter. That's what he wants to do with you and with everybody who walks the face of this earth. That's been his intended course ever since the Garden of Eden. That that's what he wants to do and we have to trace that because he wants to bring out the very worst in all of us and this is his plan. He does it by distorting the word and the truth of God. He does it by deceiving you with lies both about God and about yourself. He does it by discouraging you by pointing out your weaknesses and your failures and your flaws. He does it by defeating you spiritually if you allow him to do that. And ultimately, his intent is to destroy you. And the reason for that is that Satan himself is going to be destroyed. He wants to take as many with him for destruction. So that's what his intended purpose is. That's why he always wants to bring out the very worst in you. Why is that? That's because when he's able to point out to you your failures, your sins, your flaws, everything that's wrong in your life, all the mistakes you've made, everything bad in your life, that's when he's able to sneak up to you and whisper in your ear, see, I told you, you're not good enough. God can't love you. You're not good enough. You're sinful. You're not worthy of his love. And all of that is a part of his plan to deceive you and to destroy you. Jesus warned Peter that that was what was coming from Satan. Some of you might feel the same way today. You might feel like you're being sifted. Let me remind you of something. Satan can sift you, but he can't stop you. He can discourage you, but if you stand firm in the Lord, he cannot destroy you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Satan wants to bring out the worst in you. 
Second thing we observe from this story is that you need to remember that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as sweet, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now you might wonder, okay, if Satan is asked to sift you, why wouldn't Jesus just say, no, I don't want you to do that. Now you need to also remember something else. The only power Satan has, he's defeated. He was defeated at the cross. The only power he has is the power that he is granted to use. In this situation, Satan had asked Jesus, obviously, if I can sift Simon Peter, let me see what I can do to Simon Peter. Let me get in his head. We have another biblical precedent for that. Remember Job, that God is looking down upon his servant Job, and Satan comes up and says, well, if we afflict him in certain ways, He'll, 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 he'll curse you and he'll deny you. So Satan asks permission and God granted. He's got to come through God before he comes through you. So that begins to make sense when Jesus says to, say, to Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now why did he allow Simon to go through that time of sifting? Why does he allow you and me sometimes to go through that time of sifting. Why does he sometimes allow Satan to have a way with us in a season in our life? It's because there are things that we would never know, we would never learn, we would never develop in our life if we didn't have to go through those times of sifting. If you're being turned upside down and feel like you're being run through the mill, then welcome to the sifting zone. But remember this. As you're going through this time, Jesus is praying for you. And here's biblical precedent for that. Hours before his crucifixion, Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room. After he washed their feet, according to John's gospel, and John's gospel is different in the accounts that Matthew, Mark, and Luke give to us. John doesn't have the typical setting for the Lord's Supper scene. He has Jesus in chapter 13 washing the disciples' feet. He talks in 14 about the home that Jesus is going to prepare for us. He talks about the coming of the power of the Holy Spirit that will teach us things, walk beside us, give us courage and, 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 and uh, encouragement and comfort in our time of need. Then we go to John chapter 17. And we find what's called in Scripture the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It literally could be called the Lord's Prayer. And in that prayer, Jesus offers this prayer. This is what he's praying. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's the original disciples. But I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, who was Jesus praying for? He was praying for Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and all the other disciples, those original disciples back then. But at the same time, he was praying for you that night. He was praying for me because he says, I'm praying for all those who will believe in me through their message. Now, Jesus prayed that prayer then and he's always praying for you now. How do we know that? The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7, 25, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you right now. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's beseeching God 
on your behalf. So what is it then that Jesus is praying? He's praying the same thing he prayed for Peter, and that is that your faith will not fail. He didn't pray that Peter would get faith. He prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. He prays the same thing for you when Satan is sifting you, bringing out the worst in you. Remember that. Jesus is praying for you. Third thing to notice in this story is that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Proud, boastful Peter said, when Jesus said to him, Satan is going to sift you, but I'm going to pray for you that your faith will not fail. What did Peter say? Verse 33 said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Boy, that was another one of Peter's outlandish statements, impetuous Peter. And Jesus came right back and said to him, showing him that he knows Peter better than he knows himself. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. I can only imagine what Simon Peter might have felt. When he made that statement, Lord, I'll go to prison with you, I'll die. And here comes Jesus in saying, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, let's fast forward in the story. Move over to chapter, same chapter, verse 54, Luke 22, verse 54. This is after Jesus and Peter have had their conversation. It's after Jesus' agony in the garden of Gethsemane and after Judas has come and betrayed him and Jesus has been arrested. And this is where we pick up the story. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Now, one thing about it, he, he's going to deny him, but he's there in the courtyard. He's closer than any of the other disciples. They've all gone. We don't know where they are. Then a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. How do they know he's a Galilean? Something by the way he talked, and other, other gospels say. His dialect let them know that he was not from there. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus was right about Peter, wasn't he? Peter was full of pride and what he thought was a strong faith. And he said, no, Lord, 
I'll go to prison with you, and I will die with you. And Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And he said, Peter, before the rooster crows today, three times you will deny me. Here we see it. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our flaws. He knows our failures from the past. He knows what we're going to do in the future to fail him. And so the warning to us is we need to be on guard against a prideful, boastful spirit relying on our power and not God's power. That's what we have a tendency to do. We think maybe as we grow and mature and develop in our faith, we've taken enough Bible uh, classes, we've taken enough courses, we've taken enough time in Sunday school, we've worshiped enough, I can withstand anything. I'm strong enough to do that. I've developed my spiritual life. I've developed my faith. That's what Simon Peter thought, that he was strong enough in his own power. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die with you. You need to hear what Proverbs 16, 18 says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. See, Peter was filled with pride in his own strength and it failed him. And the same is true with us if we're not careful. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves and he'll point out to us that in your own power, you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. Now, Peter failed. He sinned, but he was forgiven, but he suffered shame and disappointment. Sin always has consequences. For Peter, it brought about shame and disappointment to him. For us, it's going to bring about consequences as well. Therefore, we need to take heed and learn the fact that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he will say to us, you cannot withstand Satan's sifting on your own. That's why he's putting us through that time. It's so that we will learn that we have to have a strength greater than ours to withstand the temptations in life, the sifting of Satan, so that we can stand strong and be firm in our faith. Peter learned that lesson through that time of sifting. He failed. He fell short. He denied his Lord. I'm not sure what was in that look that Jesus gave. I mean, we can speculate on it. Whether it was disappointment, whether it was sorrow, or whatever. But it was enough that Peter saw that look in the eyes of Jesus that he went out and he wept bitterly because of his sin his failure, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew that it was coming, and he told him ahead of time. Now, listen, he doesn't tell him that afterwards. We'll catch up on that in just a minute. Here's the fourth lesson to learn. That is, failure does not have to be final. I think that's the great lesson we learn from Simon Peter. He was sifted by Satan. He denied the Lord, but that's not the last chapter in his life. You see, some of you have failed as well. We've all failed in some way. Some of you have been part of a failed marriage, whether it was your fault or not. Some of you have been part of a failed business, whether it was your fault or not. Some of you have failed in a dream. Some of you have, have a moral failure in your life. You've had a mental failure. You've failed financially. 
We've all failed. The Bible tells us we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it never has to be final. Some of you might have seen a fairly recent movie uh, on Winston Churchill and, and his leadership of England right as they were headed into the Second World War and the movie entitled Darkest Hour. And it reminded me a quote attributed to Winston Churchill where he said, Success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. That's a great way to live. Success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. I think Peter learned that lesson. What happened to Peter? What did he do? Number one, he sinned. He denied knowing Jesus. He did so with an oath. And he failed the Lord. Some of you are right where Simon Peter was. You're denying Jesus. You know where you are or not. Second thing we notice about that, he's not only sinned, but he suffered and he repented. There was something in that look that Jesus had for him that sent him out where he wept knowing that he had failed his Lord. Have you ever wept bitterly over your sin like Peter did? It was Peter's misery in recognizing his failure, his sin, that led him to repent. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. So there we understand the difference between Judas and Peter. You know the difference between those two? Judas was remorseful for what he did when he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He felt sorry for what he did, but he never repented of it. Simon Peter, on the other hand, was remorseful for what he did, that he denied the Lord, but he went out in tears of repentance. And because he went out in tears of repentance and admitted what he did, he was forgiven and he was restored. And we see Simon Peter on Easter morning running joyfully to the tomb to discover that it was empty. And then we also see then that follow-up to that is that Peter witnessed with boldness. After Peter fell, after his fall, he became a bold witness of the gospel. He didn't stay down. We look in the, third, in the second chapter of Acts on the day of Pentecost in Peter's great sermon. He stood before the people and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd and he preached to them in bold, dynamic fashion. And the scripture says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. You know the difference between Peter when he denied the Lord and went out and in tears and frustration and remorse? And when he stood before the people on Pentecost and preached, he had encountered the risen Lord. He had been forgiven. And just as Jesus had said, I have prayed for you so that after after Satan has had his way with you, you will strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus knew that Peter would fail, but he also knew he would turn back. In verse 32, he said, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. One other translation says that when you have, are converted, strengthen your brothers. That doesn't mean here, that word doesn't mean converted being saved because Peter was in a relationship with the Lord. But it literally means when you are changed. And boy, what a change Simon Peter went through. And Peter became one of the greatest leaders of the early church. 
And he wrote a couple of letters, First and Second Peter, that had been strengthening believers for thousands of years. And I want you to listen to, to what he has to say in First Peter 5, 8. Because it's in one of the first spiritual takeaways that we can take from this passage of Scripture. When it tells us that no one is beyond failure, listen to what Simon Peter says. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think that's pretty autobiographical of Simon Peter, wouldn't you think? And you and I are fools if we don't heed that advice. No one is beyond failure. Satan is always like a prowling lion after us. And we need to be careful about that. Here's a second takeaway. And that is that Satan often attacks us at our points of strength. We always tend to look at the weak spots as where we're going to be tempted. And that's true. Satan does work there as well. And we tend to guard those weak spots. But we tend to depend upon and boast upon our spiritual strengths. Peter did. He said, if all fall away, I will not. Sometimes Satan can get to us by going to our strength because that's where our pride is better than he can through our weakness. So, no one is beyond failure. Satan often attacks us at the point of our strength. Third takeaway is that God allows us to fail in order to strip away our self-confidence. Isn't that exactly what he did with Simon Peter? Simon Peter was full of self-confidence. Everybody else, Lord, can desert you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll go to death with you. They all fall away. I will not. And before that morning was over, he denied the Lord three times. See, God will allow us to go through times of sifting so that we learn how weak we are and that our survival is dependent upon our relationship to Christ. And that the strength we need is his strength, not ours. The confidence we need is his confidence, not ours. And the fourth takeaway is that God forgives our failures as we confess and repent. I mentioned that look that Jesus had. It couldn't have been a look of condemnation. I don't think it was a look of anger. I think it was a look of sorrow that he had warned Peter and yet Peter fell to his pride. And that's what led Peter to go out in remorse and shame and humiliation and cry. But notice this. Notice this, what Jesus did not do. He looked at Simon Peter and that was all that had to take place. Some of us who are adults remember sometimes a look from a parent was all we needed to straighten us up, right? We get that look. Some of you today, younger generation, know 
who has that look in the family as well and what that look means. Jesus looked at Simon Peter, but never once did he criticize him. Never once did he bring it up again. When they met again on the seashore and Jesus reinstated him, Jesus didn't say, see, Simon, I told you. I told you it was going to happen. I told you and you wouldn't listen. No, none of that from Jesus. Jesus simply asked him, do you love me? And he asked him that three times. That was enough, right? And then came the affirmation, then love my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. If you love me, do these things. And Simon Peter was restored. God forgives our failures as we confess and repent. Simon Peter went through a time of sifting. Look at what he lost. He lost his vanity. He lost his pride. He lost his self-confidence. He lost his rash impulsiveness, and he, he, he lost his unreliability. Those are good things to lose. But then look what Peter gained after his restoration. Humility, a new confidence in God. A new courage that would have been tested, a new determination to serve Jesus Christ, and a willingness to use his experience to help others. So who is this who is this story for today? Obviously it was for Simon Peter. But it's for you and for me today as well. It's for all of us who are being tempted for Satan to sift us and to bring out the very worst in us. And that could be happening to anybody at any time. It's for all of us who have fallen victim to Satan's uh, play, playing with our mind and pointing out our weaknesses and our shortcomings. And it's for all of us who are in need of coming back and making our way back to the grace of God and being restored and being a useful vessel for the kingdom of God. So you might know the embarrassment of sin and failure and denial of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. But like Simon Peter, you can know the joy of being restored and restated and being useful for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Simon Peter did as he came to confess and repent and enjoy that rest restoration with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the lesson we all can learn from Simon Peter. Sin doesn't have to be, sin doesn't have to be final. Our failure doesn't have to be final. There's forgiveness with the Lord as we repent and return to him. Father, thank you for allowing others to go before us and what they would experience that would serve as lessons for us as we struggle in life. Well, for anyone today who's going through a time of sifting from the Lord Jesus Christ, allowing that to take place through the hands of Satan. I pray that you will indeed strengthen them so that their faith will not fail. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen all of us so that we will be warned in this, not to rely upon our strength, our power, our confidence, but upon yours as well. Help us, Father, to understand that when we do slip into sin, when we do fail you, that in Christ there is no condemnation, but that you forgive us. You restore us into that relationship and you use us for your glory. A vessel that's been cleansed and ready for good works. 
And I pray, Father, that we'll all learn from this lesson of Simon Peter. That our pride will fail us, but the strength of God will sustain us. And may we depend upon that strength. In Jesus' name.